Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. Proud member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. Here at Marketing Futures, we're always looking to forecast the next big trend to disrupt our industry. Well, who better to talk about forecasts with than Sherry Backstein, CEO of the Weather Company and General Manager of IBM Watson. Sherry and I discussed what it was like behind the scenes as the Weather Channel was acquired by IBM to become the Weather Company, integrating massive amounts of weather data into the tech giant's already considerable repository. She explained the concept of selfless innovation and how it could help companies combine purpose and disruption, and shared stories from her time as a storm chaser. Good thing it's always sunny in the Marketing Futures podcast. Okay, everybody, we are back in the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast virtual studio. I am super excited for our guest today. Very, very honored to have Sherry Backstein, CEO of the Weather Company and General Manager of IBM Watson Advertising on, on the show. Sherry, thank you so much for stopping by. Hi, Michael. It's so great to be here. Good to uh, talk to you today. Likewise, likewise. So before we jump in, and we're going to really cover a lot of ground today, I'm very, very excited. But just to set a level, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to become the CEO of the weather company and GM of IBM Watson Advertising. Wow, but it's been a great journey. And so, um, you know, I started my career actually in journalism. Um, as well, uh, working in local TV, and then uh, quickly was recruited by the, the Weather Channel. And so I spent a lot of years on the publishing side of the business, on the TV side. And, um, and then from there, you know, the, the whole transformation was happening with linear TV and really recognized that the digital space is where I needed to go. And, and so I've, I've been collectively with the Weather Company for over a decade uh, not consistently. I, I did leave for a period of time, uh, did some interesting work uh, you know, in South Florida, creating interesting television content for different companies, you know, music videos and all kinds of production. So I've, I've pretty much produced everything but a feature film. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll get back to that. I was about um, to say there's still time. Yeah, absolutely. If I can uh, get a good idea. Um, but yeah, and then from there, you know, uh, again, that digital world was changing, came back to the weather company. And that was really interesting because I was with the weather company uh, when we went through the IBM acquisition. And that really helped me shape that transformation of the company afterwards. And so, you know, having sat on the publisher side of the business, um, it really helped me to understand our consumer base. But then when when we became IBM, it was really about looking at how do we evolve who we are as a weather company to adopt really advanced technologies around AI um, and how to really take that to turn us into also an ad tech company. And so it was really, that was kind of that catalyst uh, that I had for how to change and transform a company as well as my strong passion for a fantastic team and culture that really led me to the seat that I hold today. That's just incredible. And I'd love to talk just a little bit more about your tenure at the Weather Company because it does. I mean, I know you uh, you left and came back, but just the amount of time there and the transformation that you've been able to kind of have a front row seat makes you a bit of a unicorn in this industry. I would love to just focus in on that acquisition to IBM uh, from IBM, which in my head at the time I was like, that's pretty curious. What was the transformation like behind the scenes? Uh, what was the climate there? And what were the things that made it a success? 
So it's a really great question um, because I, I do think like you, a lot of people were like, wow, that's an interesting acquisition. But at the heart of who we are as a company is we are a data company. We have a very unique signal with all of the, the data that we have. And it's not only from a, a real-time perspective of what's happening now, but this immense amount of forecast data. And a third party has, has named us the most accurate forecaster in the world. So we definitely spend a lot of effort and capital into making sure that, that we do have the best forecast and evolving as technology evolves to deliver that. Um, and so that was just you know, a really big part of that acquisition. Uh, and so from there, it's like, you know, how do you take this data and continue to enrich the lives of your customers, which are both the consumer and our advertising partners. And so we saw a real strong connection of how weather can inform a consumer's buying behavior and their moods. And we were able to leverage AI to really deliver some really unique insights for our advertisers. And we were doing that on our own publishing platform. And so then it was like, wow, weather's everywhere and our customers should be able to take that data and use it everywhere. And that's really what uh, gave us the thought that we should transform and take our AI solutions and bring them to the open web and to other publishers or marketers to develop into an ad tech company just a, a few years ago, uh, shortly after our acquisition. So it's been a, a really good transformation for us. So it's a really, um, you know, kind of a un unique position, like you said. Yeah, I once I kind of understood the nature of the relationship, I've actually had the uh, the pleasure of sitting in on a few IBM uh, weather company presentations at different A&A events. Uh, and I've actually used one of the most curious findings that you all came together with probably several times on this podcast. I'm just going to say this now in case I've been like giving bunk information, but the one thing that I heard that just absolutely... <laughs> floors me because it makes no sense, but there's just so much data. Is it true that when it's, there's like a rainy day or kind of bad weather that yogurt sales just increase? Because that, I, that little factoid sticks in my mind for probably maybe five, six years ago, I heard that. Yeah. So that's such a great insight. And yes, yes, that one's true, but it's just like, you know, with ice cream, you, you think about ice cream sales being, you know, predominant in the summer. Well, obviously that's true, right? And that's obvious, but actually ice cream sales in the winter time are just as high. And that's because when you're cold, you want comfort food and people see ice cream as comfort food. So really some interesting insights. We have about 300 of them total um, that we deliver across different verticals, whether it's CPG or auto uh, or retail. And it's just really fascinating for us to explore how much weather is actually part of every single industry and mm -hmm. that really every company should have a weather strategy because in, in somewhere along your supply chain, uh, weather is an impact. Yeah, it's just a dimension that you'd never really think about when you're triangulating data, but it affects everywhere. So I just think that's very cool. I will stop geeking out so we can continue on, but just uh, a big fan of, of the, the nature of that relationship. Um, so we've had some earlier talks and you mentioned something that's been literally stuck in my mind ever since the idea of selfless innovation. 
So could you explain to our listeners what that is? Uh, share a little bit of how you're incorporating that principle into your own team. Uh, and then I would love to just hear some organizations that are doing it right or some organizations that are maybe tripping up a little bit when, when trying to do that. Yeah, so selfless innovation, really important. You know, as, as companies set out to innovate, a lot of times they think about innovating in order to grow their PL. So they look to generate revenue. Uh, they look to um, generate, you know, better margins or, or in some cases to improve their expenses through efficiencies. And, you know, I think that those are all great, uh, you know, deliverables and, and things as, as me as a business leader, I want all of that too, but I want my team to deliver that because they've put at the center of our innovation, our customer. And, um, you know, our customer for my business is both the consumer and the advertiser. And so selfless innovation is really just that. It's, it's sticking to your mission by putting your consumer or your advertiser in the center of the innovation that you do and making that work purposeful. And sometimes that means that you create an innovation that doesn't directly impact your P&L. But I believe when companies do this, that all tides will rise and that the revenue and the growth of, of the company uh, will come uh, as a result of that. And I can give you a great example. You may recall uh, last year, back in December of, of 2021, uh, a tornado outbreak happened in parts of Kentucky and, and parts of the nation, actually seven states impacted by it. And, you know, there was a lot of loss of life, a lot of loss of property. And it was, it was amazing to see this footage coming in. It was just, you know, really hard um, to look at that. And I sat there as the leader of this organization. And I was like, in this day and age of technology, there has to be more that we can do to prevent this type of tragedy. I mean, we, we can't stop the weather, but we certainly can better inform people so they make the right decisions. We sent out 380 alerts during that event. So the alerts were there, but I'm like, there has to be more we can do. So I right. posed that to my team and we are creating a tornado risk product that'll come out in April, but I'm not doing it to make more money. I'm doing it because it really lives up to the mission that we believe at the weather company that it is our job to provide information to help keep people safe and to save lives. And it's, you know, at the heart of what we do, but it's, you know, this is not about growing the company from a revenue perspective. It's doing the right thing. And I'll tell you what, you know, all tides will rise. We will create value for our customers. And from a cultural perspective, that's something teams can really rally around and believe in. Just so well said. And I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that it's something that in innovation that we rarely ever talk about. And it's that authenticity and that mission and that purpose. I think that's just as important as, you know, having an open culture and having the organization where, you know, data can flow back and forth. I think that if you're just doing it for a short-term game or to pop a PL number, uh, that you're gonna stumble along the way. And speaking of that, you know, I think the lockdown, the pandemic, COVID-19 messed up just about everything. And on that list, I think would certainly be a lot of brands focus on their mission and their purpose, that authenticity, that consumer centricity that kind of allows you to 
know intuitively you're on the right path. So do you have any advice for marketers who are looking to get back to their roots, looking to really put that purpose back at the center of their efforts? You know, the pandemic was hard, right? Because you had to, as a business leader and as a company, you know, you sometimes had to make decisions that were kind of unpopular because you had to survive during the pandemic. Uh, and so sometimes that means that you had to make some pivots. And so I, I totally understand that. And, and me, myself, as you know, in this position, you know, we had to make some decisions um, for the greater good of that. But I think now we are coming out of this, thankfully. Um, and then it really is about getting back to your roots and, and really making that shift back. You know, during the pandemic, it, it was kind of interesting because, like I said, our goal is to give people information so they can make the right decisions. I went to the team and said, you know, we are local by nature, right? Because your, your weather is local. Let's give local COVID information. And the team just looked at me and they were like, but we're a weather company. And I'm like, no, we, we are a local information company and we have the scale to do this. We have the capabilities, the AI to do this. And this is a way that we can pivot what we're doing to still live up to the mission, to give people information, to make decisions. It's just in a different category. And so we stood up this COVID section within a matter of weeks, which was really fast. And again, it was just so inspirational for the whole team. And so sometimes you can make pivots um, you know, to still live through your mission, but it's not exactly what you might consider your normal course of business. And so I think, you know, we all need to get back to doing what's uh, important for our business, for our customers and our consumers. And again, if we put them at the heart of what we're doing, um, you know, that, that is a, a, a way to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I just wanted to touch on and call out uh, that you did that I've heard of in successfully helping people expand their mind or, or innovate beyond perceived boundaries is you really distilled the nature of the purpose of the weather company that it wasn't yes specifically in the day-to-day -day, visually you are purveying you know information about the weather but you know coming down and distilling it to we are a local information company just allows that your purview to expand exponentially. It reminds me, it was one of the major automotive companies. This is probably close to 10 years back now, maybe a little less, but change the focus from making cars to mobility, you know, getting people from point A to point B and that really opened their purview up. So that was just really cool to hear how simplicity allowed you to innovate, expand and go beyond uh, what one would, typically think were the boundaries of the weather company. So that's just yeah, really cool. And it's, it's not easy to do that, right? Because you have right. to get your teams to kind of understand that. But I, I do think mm -hmm. if there's one piece of advice really for like marketers and advertising and brands, it's really like start thinking outside the revenue box, right? And, um, yes. you know, innovate uh, in, instead of just focusing on the outcome, which is revenue, but it's not the purpose or, or the product. Sherry, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to take a, a little bit of a, a left turn here because um, just from somebody in your, your position with your POV, I'd love if we could peer into the crystal ball a little bit and just get your take on a few trends that could play a, a major role in the, you know, in the short term, in this year and beyond. Uh, would you be cool doing that? 
Oh, I love the crystal ball, Michael. Let's go for it. We love it. We love it. Excellent. Thank you. First, I'd like to get your take on the rise of the subscription economy. Uh, what do you think is driving it? And what do you see from it actually even beyond the next year or two? What do you see from it in the next five years down the road? So I am, I'm very excited and very bullish on the subscription economy. I think that um, it has a very strong future. I think it will rival um, advertising dollars in the future. We're already starting to see that. And certainly the pandemic kind of was a, a catalyst for that. And, you know, we saw a lot of intake and subscriptions. It'll normalize now, but I still think it's important because I think it gives people a way to get exactly what they want. And, you know, we launched a subscription business right before the pandemic. And, you know, we've seen that our consumers are willing to pay for the information that they specifically want, uh, and sometimes reducing clutter in their journey. People are really busy. And so I do believe that this is going to continue. I think more publishers and more companies will turn to a subscription model. I think it's a way to give increased value to your consumers. And, you know, and I think that that's important. And so, like I said, I'm really bullish on this. What I think is going to happen, and I'm already seeing you know, green uh, shoots around this, is I think companies will start working together to bundle. So I really believe kind of the way that cable went uh, many, many years ago is there was all these individual cable companies and, and programming companies, and they started getting bundled together. And so today you have these um, cable bundles. I think we're going to see subscriptions do that as well. Um, we are actually launching um, in Q2 capabilities to bundle with other partners. So you can get weather, you can get news and, and other types of information that you're wanting into a bundled package that's at a discounted rate. And I think that we're going to see more of that in the future as companies really see the value of this and consumers uh, see the value as well. That makes perfect sense. And it, yeah, and actually that's a, a fantastic kind of vision for the future and subscriptions. Like I said, that's it, it just absolutely clicks. And it's just great for both sides because it allows one-to-one -one customization for the customer, but it also gives the company, the subscription company, an ocean of consented first-party data that they can really use to maximize that relationship and know exactly what they need to and exactly what the customer wants them to know about it. I may or may not, uh, not have finished that with first party data on purpose, because the next thing I'd like to ask you about is our current data conundrum, or I guess I should say our impending data conundrum. So in the near future, we're, we're hearing cookies are about to evaporate. A lot of third party uh, trackers are going to be go the way of the dodo. So how do you respectfully in a privacy forward way, use data to connect the right consumers to the right products? Because I think that is that is where the market's headed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, data is digital currency. And, you know, I, I do believe the privacy around this is very important. Consumer privacy has to be at the forefront of the technologies we build around this. But, you know, when you have a value exchange with your consumer and you're giving them value, they are willing to share some level of information from you. Because I think at the end of the day, when you ask people, they like personalized experiences. Um, and you know, the only way you can achieve that is by at least sharing some data 
um, to achieve that. So I actually think that more and more people liked personalized experiences because again, like I said, people are busy. Uh, they want to see the information that's most pertinent to them. And so, you know, having some of that data allows for that to happen. And so I think that that's really important as, as we move forward. Um, but I do feel like with the technologies that we have now today, specifically with AI, it's a great way to take data in a more privacy forward way than the techniques that we've had of the past. And what's really great about this advanced technology is not only can you get data in real time, but then you start getting more predictive data, but again, in a privacy forward way. So I think it's a really pivotal moment in the advertising industry. I'm excited about the fact that this is really opening up publishers and ad tech companies to start innovating again, because we've all been going with the cookie or traditional identifiers to drive our business. And so I, the innovation that we're starting to see, um, I think is, is really great and very much needed uh, to drive our industry forward, you know, into the next, you know, 10 years or so. Very well said. And I, I hear, variations of that whenever I talk to very smart people. Uh, like it's, we, we as an industry fell into a place of complacency and it made sense and you can get some pretty easily trackable metrics from it. So that's what we're doing. Uh, and honestly, all of the alternatives that I've heard presented to me in different forums all seem to be, uh, have a much higher ceiling than we know you visit fishing websites by our fishing pole. You know what I mean? Like, I think there are yeah. things we can go beyond that. So that's fantastic. And I, you mentioned it, but at the core of that kind of data and, and, and personalization revolution uh, has to be basically artificial intelligence. Marketing Features is we're on the verge of releasing a major report and to kind of give a little bit of a teaser. One thing that connected what we're referring to as hyper growth companies is that they are past looking at AI, they're implementing it, they're optimizing it, and it's giving them the advantage. Do you see any major challenges marketers face that AI could be coming to solve in the near future to really kind of be the crux, the answer to what marketers have been looking for? Well, I actually think there's a couple of things. And I think, you know, the adoption of AI has been pretty slow because, you know, I, I think, as you know, years ago it came out and it was like this interesting thing, kind of this buzzword. I mean, we see it now with metaverse, right? I think it's just taken people time to understand what it can do. And it's, it's beyond automation. It's around really taking a lot of data and, and making insights out of it that are then actionable. And so I think we're getting to a point through education and, and some of the products that you mentioned that are coming out that marketers and advertisers are starting to look at that. Of course, the forcing function of identifiers and stuff going away is also a catalyst for that. But I think what's great about AIs, and, and you kind of mentioned this about how we target today, and it's really we target in the past. So did I know you went to that phishing website? You might be interested. And so that tells me where you've been. And so like if I think about it with my business, if I only gave you the weather in the past, that wouldn't be very helpful, right? right? I mean, right. it's be interesting, but it's not going to tell you, hey, should you go, you know, play an activity or soccer or something this weekend. So with AI, it gives us the ability to understand better what's happening now, but more importantly, how to predict for the future. 
And I think that's going to be a really critical change for advertisers and marketers to see the opportunity to be able to have that type of knowledge on a consumer and what their behavior might be from a buying perspective. Um, so I think for me, I think advertisers and marketers need to start actually experimenting more with AI solutions. There's still some hesitancy. Uh, we've been baiting a lot of uh, products and, and working with our advertisers, but you still get that sense of hesitancy because it's like, oh, let me just do what I, I know works versus right. that. So that's the one thing I think we have to kind of continue to change. And, and that comes with education, comes with trial and error. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and just as I said, like, start it now, because in 10 years, the people who are get dipping their toes in and maybe falling on their face once or twice as they're learning, those are the companies in 10 years that are taking quantum leaps forward and other companies are, are, are trying to get their thing together to follow. Oh, I um, agree. And I think mm -hmm. the other thing with AI, um, you know, it can help mitigate bias in advertising. Thousand percent. I mean, that's that's just a, a great topic. We've been working on that. We actually issued a white paper just early this year around our study of um, can AI actually help with that? And, and we've seen that it can. And I think that's just so important now in this day and age um, around bias and making sure um, that the advertising that we're doing is equitable, you know, across um, different segments of people. Well, I couldn't agree more for more reasons than one. I mean, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is something uh, at the center of marketing futures. I truly believe innovation is nothing without a diverse POV feeding it data and information, but it's also leaving billions of dollars on the table. Like our industry has left trillions of dollars on the table over the past decades because of the bias inherent in our marketing in on our, in, on our advertising. Um, so it's definitely something to look into and to, you know, AI uh, could, I think you're a thousand percent right, could be a major, major tool into overcoming that, that diversity and that bias challenge. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, and it's bias across the entire funnel, right? It's mm -hmm. not just the creative side, but it's the, mm -hmm. the bidding side. And, um, and, you know, and, and just to kind of throw this out there, we're actually creating a toolkit to help um, brands and marketers identify bias that we're making available uh, to everyone. It'll be out this summer and we encourage everyone to use it because this is something as an uh, you know, an industry we have to work on together. Not one company is going to solve it. It really is us working together, uh, you know, to kind of reduce this as much as possible. Yeah, I think this is a perfect example of that selfless innovation, a major opportunity for the industry to come together and deliver some selfless innovation in a way that impacts so, so far beyond the P&Ls and the revenue streams of the world. Perfectly said. Before we put away the crystal ball, because it is humming today, okay. um, is there anything beyond, is there anything you see on the horizon that might just be a burgeoning thing right now, but that you're really bullish on in the long term? So there's really, I think, two things. And the first one is obviously really close uh, to us, and that's the rise in extreme weather. We mm. are going to continue to see... Um, this, and I don't mean severe weather just like with tornadoes. I mean, severity and weather as it relates to heat and to mm -hmm. drought 
every aspect of weather. Um, and it's, you know, partly due to our changing climate. Uh, and so we're going to see more catastrophic events um, and, and more severe weather like this. And I, I think that's really important for us to address that and to, to help around climate change and to really leverage our advanced technologies around being able to forecast such severe weather. That's critical. That's what we're focused on. Again, we can't prevent it, but we can help better forecast it so people can be prepared, companies can be prepared in, in the long run to help help them make the best decisions. So, so that's the one I think really serious trend that I, I think uh, we'll continue to see as time goes on. And then the other thing I think is, and, and I hate to be cliche around it, but I actually think it's going to be a big deal is the metaverse. I think mm -hmm. that, you know, this is very much a uh, part of our future. I think digital currency as part of that is going to continue. And, um, you know, I'm fascinated by it. I, I read and listen to everything I can about it, you know, because I, I do think that it's probably going to have a quicker adoption than maybe some of the other technologies we've seen in our history. Um, is it going to be next year? No. But is it going to be the next three or four years? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've had many, many, as, as, I'm, as I'm sure is not a shocker, many conversations around the metaverse in the past few months. And, you know, when people describe it now, it might seem a little far-fetched, but if I went back to 2008 and told you that social media was going to redesign the entire internet and the way we engage with content and make into like the internet into little pieces that people own and, and transform and, and start fights around, you know, you, you would have thought I was crazy because back then it was something that you, you posted pictures of lunch on. Um, so I think that in all of these things that you hear of the possibility of the metaverse, uh, I think it'd be a little foolhardy to just laugh that off as a pie in the sky idea. Oh, I agree. And I, I look, I think it's, I think it's fun. I think it's, again, it's just, you know, that innovation and the next, uh, generation of technology, which I think is, is so fascinating. Before we move on, because there are a few things that I like to ask every single one of our guests. I would be remiss if I didn't share with our, with our audience that you spent time as a storm chaser. You were talking about extreme weather. You were going and chasing it. Uh, so I would love if you could just tell us a little bit of what that experience was like. And if there are any, you know, stories in your adventures that you'd be willing to share. Seems crazy, right? But it was, you know, it's funny. It seems when I, awesome. It, yeah, I mean, it, it really turned out to be awesome. It was, uh, you know, I was working with the Weather Channel TV, a very small team of live producers. We had our own um, truck we called Storm Tracker. And we would just go around in an essence to cover these events before they happen, during and then after uh, chasing these storms. And, you know, I don't think there is a weather event I haven't seen from, you know, tornadoes to nor'easters to Santa Ana winds, hurricanes. Um, but it was just a, a way of preparing people and then you know obviously the aftermath reporting but it really was about that preparation so it was um some really cool cool experiences and you know I have a, a couple of good stories I was um on the ground when a mile wide tornado went through Norman Oklahoma so if you think about a mile oh, lord that's the base of the tornado and the destruction was unbelievable I, I couldn't 
even believe what I was seeing. And it just, it brought me to tears, our crew to tears um, as we're going around talking to people um, and, and helping people. And some of the stories out of that were amazing. There was a, a gentleman who was in his apartment in a bathtub taking a bath when the tornado came through and the tornado lifted him in his bathtub and he next found himself about a mile away from his home in a field in his bathtub with the water still in his bathtub and it was crazy and I'm like (laughs) poor guy I'm not sure how he got home uh, because he certainly didn't have his bathrobe but um just crazy (laughs) crazy stories but the power of weather and nature is unbelievable um, and, you know, it's, it was funny. I was also in uh, Puerto Rico covering a hurricane and it was, I had just gotten engaged and I was on the phone with my now husband and he's like, you are on an island and a hurricane's coming because maybe you should think about changing careers, you know? Um, but it's just, you know, a lot of sadness that we saw, but out of all of that, um, it became my passion point for being in this company and being a part of this company because I saw firsthand. But then, you know, when you have people that have just lost everything and they come up to you and they just hug you and they're like, thank you, you saved our lives. It just really, really, you know, makes you commit to doing, um, you know, the right thing with weather, making sure that you're getting those alerts out there to save people's lives. You can really make an impact. And and I'm so proud because there's very few companies, I think, out there that can say that the work that we do every day helps to save lives. Um, And I think, you know, again, that's our mission and, and, and that's why it's great to be part of this company. Now, as I mentioned, there are a few questions that we like to ask each and every one of our guests, so I'll get right to it. What are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I'm so happy to see the attention to this area. I think it's far overdue and and really happy that companies are now really paying attention um, to these types of changes, you know, that, that they're making. I think it's really important. You know, I think with the pandemic too, especially um, if you look at one aspect of this and really around um, the growth of women in the workforce, it's been really challenging because a lot of women have left the workforce because of the pandemic, because they had mm-hmm. to, you know, take care of their families. And, you know, I think it's really important to, uh, we have to get that back. You know, we have to get women back into the workplace where they're able to do that because I think it's really important, you know, on my leadership team, I have a very diverse leadership team and it's really important to have that mix because you get this diversity of thought, which is, I, I know people say that, but it really is a true thing because we all think a little bit differently. Our empathy levels are a little bit different, um, you know, and how we approach things is different. And I always tell my team, there's 10 different ways to build a bridge um, and and all of them can be right. And you just want that different level of thinking. So I do believe that now is the time, you know, that there's a lot of focus on it. I think there has been a lot of great work, but I actually think there's a lot more work that needs to be done because this needs to be a consistent drumbeat. It can't just be for this moment in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and that's really well said. I, I kind of got 
caught up in, in just thinking about that, like uh, in how you put it together, the very many ways that you can, there are, there could be a lot of different right answers, but the idea is to have that entire purview. Uh, so just incredibly well said. All right, Sherry. So questions have been pretty friendly. We've been pretty civil up to this point, but this is where things get serious. All right. Are you ready? Okay. You had me a little nervous here, Michael. That was the exact intention. <laughs> Sherry Backstein. CEO of the Weather Company. What is your favorite album of all time and why? Oh, wow. What a fantastic question. Okay, but I'm going to ask you the same in return, so be prepared. Oh, this um, is the first. Oh, okay, I got to go yes. on mute. I'll be back. Uh, oh, yes. No. Um, it, wow, that's a hard question because I love music and I love all different kinds of music. Um, so I'm going to give you two polar opposites for me. It might tell you a little bit about me as a person. Okay, so but first ultimately of all, you're going to choose one. Okay, ultimately <laughs> one. Okay. But I want to hear both. I want to hear both. Yeah, so I, I would say um, I love Prince 1999. Mm, it, yes. Such a fantastic time in my life. Um, and I, I loved Prince. I thought he was, he was such an amazing musician he could play multiple instruments, mm -hmm. um, but then his music, you know, it, it had a lot of meaning, but it also kind of made you move um, and gave you energy. And, and I just loved that time in my life. And, and I, I love his music. My other one was ACDC, Back to Black. Um, nice. Couldn't be any more different. Um, so maybe I'm a it. rocker at heart a little bit, but I think it was, mm -hmm. I think I like that simply because I think it gave me this edge that most people were pretty surprised that I had. I love it. I love it. That's, and there's just a lot of dynamics. There's a lot of movement in both of those, but in such a different way. So Sherry, who, who sits at the top of the mountain? I'm going to have to go with Prince. You're, you're going to have to. And first, I have to first concert I, I went to, I had the whole Prince garb on and everything. If you could have seen me then, Michael, uh, would have looked very different. Oh, Sherry, <laughs> I, now, and now I'm jealous. Now I'm jealous. But okay, you asked. So I, yes. it's only fair that I do this. And I've actually put, one might say, way too much time thinking about this because after a while I realized it was a little mean to put everybody on the spot and ask them this question. <laughs> so I guess it's only fair play that it's coming back around to me. So I thought about going in a bunch of different ways about this. Um, you know, I could go, you know, overall hip hop is just, you know, when I was you know eight or nine years old, I heard rap for the first time. And I was like, what is that? I need more. Um, and so I've just been obsessed with it my whole life. So I could go with my favorite, rap album of all time, which is R.A.P. Music by Killer Mike. Um, I could go by what I think is just my favorite music, the music that I think is just the best from end to end. It's a D'Angelo record called uh, Black Messiah. Um, but when it really comes down to it, and a lot of people have gone this way, is what was the music that was really fueling the transformational you know, coming of age of your life. And uh, for me, it's funny, it's, it's Sublime's self-titled album. And you go back and it's a pretty upbeat, you know, California, ska, punk, hip hop fusion album. But it was not only when I was coming into listening to, you know, current music, 
but it was just the summer where I kind of came out of my shell. I finally uh, <laughs> grew beyond four feet. I was a very, very short kid and sprouted up in one summer. So that record really um, kind of represents coming of age to me. So Sublime by Sublime, uh, Sherry, you got it out of me. And, and I, I have love to say it. kudos. It's amazing. Music can really help you get through certain periods of your life and can really have an impact. And I, I love it. That's awesome. Absolutely. That's, hey, now I, phew, man, dude, we're, we're, we're making firsts here. Um, <laughs> so actually, before I ask this uh, last question, if people want to learn more about uh, the weather company and IBM Watson advertising uh, and Sherry Backstein, uh, what are the best places to check you and the companies out? Yeah, so definitely if you want the best forecast, you should download our app at, at, at the app stores or go to weather.com. A uh, lot of great information there. And, and as far as IBM Watson advertising, uh, you can find links there to um, on our IBM site um, as well. But then you can find me on LinkedIn and you know, happy to carry on conversations with, uh, with anyone. I always like to meet people and see what other people are doing in the industry. Fantastic, fantastic. So to take us home, we're going to bring it up to the current. Uh, Sherry, is there anything you're listening to now, whether it's an artist, a song, a podcast, maybe even a book um, that you're really, really into? Uh, what is it and why? Yeah, so I'm going to have to stick with the music theme here. I find, um, you know, it's my solace when I couldn't really drive home because we were all home. I'd sit on my back porch and listen to music. And sometimes it would just be, you know, uh, a classical Pandora station with no words because mm -hmm. I hear words all day. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want to hear words uh, or else I really, really love Amos Lee. Fantastic mm -hmm. artist. If anybody, if you haven't heard about him, uh, very soulful, uh, really strong lyrics and meaning behind his songs. Um, but he is just, you know, where you just want to maybe have a glass of wine, just relax, a great, great music, a great artist. You've got your recommendation for the, the weekend, folks. Sherry, thank you so, so much. It was such a pleasure having you on the ANA Marketing Futures podcast. Thanks, Michael. Always great to talk to you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.